welcome to the Keen on Yoga podcast, bringing you the stories of many people who in various ways are attempting to walk the path of yoga. Our intention is to inspire your own practice and commitment to yoga beyond the mat and in all areas of life. We consider this an offering, a service to the community and labour of love. If you feel inclined, any donations are appreciated, just visit our page and click the donate button at www.keenonyoga.co.uk forward slash podcast. I hope you enjoy the show. Ami Slater has practiced yoga on a daily basis for over 20 years. She first visited Mysore in 2004, and having finished her study with Patavi Joyce and Shiraki, moved on directly to commence studying with Pranayama with O.P. Tawari, then the head of the Kavaliadam Yoga Institute of Lanarfala, South India. She has maintained a Pranayama practice alongside her Ashtanga one ever since. She's also taught a daily Mysore for many years, as well as taking care of family. To this end, I've always found her extremely relatable and practical in this sense. As well as extremely knowledgeable in this field, pranayama as well as Ashtanga. She is making pranayama once again more appropriate, accessible for the householder, perhaps more than Batavi Joyce's one of long holds and kabakas, and bringing it back to a scientific bent, that in regulating and calming the sympathetic nervous system, which I think we can safely say, suffering more stress and anxiety than ever, we really need. Harmony is teaching a course entitled Aging Breathe, Breathing starting shortly, as well as a spring cleanse workshop for Keenan Yoga. So, welcome to the Keenan Yoga podcast. Again, for the second, the first person who's come back for a second installment, Harmony. Welcome. Hi, Adam. Thanks for having me. It's so nice to chat with you. You're the first guest, and so the first guest back for a second time, I think. <laughs> And over 50 since since you were first on. Wow, that's and I, amazing. And I'm no better at it than I was <laughs> at the start. Probably <laughs> <laughs> worse. Um, so this time Harmony's come on to talk about pranayama and um, she's uh, she's actually doing a course, which, which I mentioned in the write-up. Um, and so we wanted to talk more about the benefits of pranayama. Um, I think particularly in the lockdown, um, people are getting very much into, uh, into focusing, I, I think, more and more on the pranayama, actually. Um, I'm, I'm finding it's coming up more and more in what people are telling me they want and, and what they're practicing. Um, so let's just go from the from from step one, Harmony, from the basics. Why bother doing pranayama in the first place? That's a great question. We're doing two hours asana practice or an hour and a half, and why do we need to be doing pranayama as well as all that asana practice? Isn't it, is it the asana practice the kind of point? Is that not enough? You know, in in a way, if you're doing a very slow um, asana practice with a lot of awareness to breath and breathing, um, I think it does have similar. Uh, benefits to a pranayama practice. But I think more often than not, we tend to kind of rush through the asana practice, especially if you're doing a full series, a full sequence, you feel like, oh, I got to get this done. This is two hours of my time or an hour and a half of my time. It feels, um, it can almost actually do the opposite than what we want it to do, right? It can mm -hmm. kind of stress us out more or we practice in a way rather than um, starting to uh, 
trigger our parasympathetic nervous system, which will help us to relax and de-stress, we end up practicing in a way where we're actually just reinforcing those negative patterns of the sympathetic nervous system. We feel then almost more stressed out rather than less stressed out afterwards. And then, you know, we don't rest for long enough. We think, oh, I got to go. I got to get on with my day. So (laughs) um, if if we're able to practice in a way that's very like slow and we have a lot of awareness on the breath and don't feel rushed or pressured, then definitely it's going to have more benefits than just practicing in a way that's very mechanical or rushed or feeling um, like you have to fit so much in in a short period of time. Yeah. But I do think it's interesting like that more people are wanting to learn about pranayama and breathing. And I think it is because people are feeling very um, stressed out. You know, they're starting to experience some of the negative side effects of this, of being stressed all the time because we're at home and, you yeah. know, all these uh, different emotions come up and feelings. And uh, when we have those types of emotions and feelings, and we have sort of this low level of chronic stress, chronic inflammation arising in our bodies, then often we don't even feel like doing a strong practice, right? Like you just don't have the energy or the motivation or the desire to do a a strong asana practice because you're already not feeling good. So it's the the yoga breathing that we know. I mean, you know, we don't call it Generally, well, generally, unless we're an older teacher, we don't call it a Ujjayi breath anymore. Um, <laughs> and the older teachers still do like to return to the uh, the idea of Ujjayi. Um, but we're not calling it that. Mm-hmm. We're, we're, but the yoga breath, anyway, it, that's not enough. We need to do something. Or, or is it we do it slow enough? Or is it a precursor to understanding the pranayama? How does it fit in the, what we know as breathing to what, what you know better, you know, as pranayama? <laughs> yeah. Well... Definitely. Um, you know, I still like to call it Ujjayi breathing because Ujjayi, yeah, Ujjayi just means breath with sound. It just means like with sound. Um, it's actually not really like a, a Sanskrit word in a way. It's, it's referring to like lifting up the sound Jai. And so, you know, in, um, like you would see in India, when people are celebrating or they're affirming something, they're like, Jai, right? Like, mm. Hanuman Jai, like this kind of um, celebratory, like making a noise. And so, Ujjayi just means with noise or with sound. Um, and I think what happened is there is a particular pranayama practice in the Hatha Pradipika that's called Ujjayi Pranayama. And it's named Ujjayi Pranayama uh based on breathing with this sound breathing where you're slightly constricting the the glottis and you're making that sound as you breathe. Um, and I think, you know, Patabi Joyce would call it Ujjayi breathing. Um, and, and because it was to be breath with sound, and so we were to use that same kind of breathing, and I think uh, somewhere along the way, Sharat decided to stop calling it that because it it's not, you know, in reference well, to this particular pranayama. Yeah, I suppose the, the early days, we were encouraged, you know, to breathe a lot louder than, than we are now, right? I mean, you really were, I think, encouraged mm-hmm. to make quite a, quite a racket. Um, like, you know, <laughs> yeah. now, I mean, that's, that's not really cool, you know, to make a, you know, a, a kind of really strong <laughs> kind of bellows, <laughs> 
Yeah, I mean, it's definitely maybe the breath was stronger yeah. before yeah, than yeah. many people bring them. Can, you know, like now, that, you know, <laughs> someone does that in the room and everyone's looking around, who's that joker in the corner breathing really loudly? <laughs> you know, they're saying to me as a teacher, stop them breathing so loudly, they're distracting me. Um, <laughs> then, then earlier, you know, early teachers, people, I mean, like, who was I going to so I mean, it was David Swenson or, you know, back in the kind of the Hawaii days, you know, they were really saying, you know, the whole room was like, you know, very strong mm-hmm. kind of pumping kind of breath sound, right? Anyway, a slight aside, but um, so you were talking about the calming breath, the idea that if we practice slowly, we would have, you know, maybe some kind of segue into a more of the, the territory you're thinking of in pranayama. So is the breath, the pranayama there to calm or to invigorate? What, you know... What's the purpose of of this? Yeah, basically with uh, pranayama practice, you're doing a couple of things simultaneously. So one of the main benefits, I would say, is that you're starting to uh, stimulate or tone the vagus nerve. And there's been a lot of talk about the vagus nerve. Eddie talks about it a lot. Um, but anytime you're, you start to talk about breathing and the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system, you know, your fight or flight nervous system that Mm. shows up as a stress response, as a response to stress, right? It's, I mean, it's not a a bad thing. It's only bad if you can't get out of that system. Mm. Um, and then the parasympathetic nervous system, which is, is like the break to the sympathetic nervous system, right? It helps to turn off the sympathetic nervous system and move into a more relaxed, you know, they would say maybe rest and digest type state. So whenever we're looking at pranayama, we're working directly with the autonomic nervous system, which is the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system together. And so even when you look at the nadis, like the ida nadi and the pingala nadi, which correspond to the left and the right nostril, they're also corresponding to the parasympathetic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous system. And so we are working directly with um, starting to tone and balance the nervous system. When we breathe with this breath with slight sound, we're also stimulating that vagus nerve, which helps to strengthen our parasympathetic response. And then we become more able to switch out of that sympathetic nervous system. So it has a very positive effect. So really, it is about calming um, the body and the mind. And it has all kinds of benefits like lowering blood pressure, improving digestion, um, increasing blood flow, decreasing blood pressure. And it helps to reduce inflammation in the body. Um, which, you know, chronic inflammation has been shown to lead to all kinds of autoimmune uh, disorders like arthritis or psoriasis or lupus, asthma, thyroid imbalances, hormone imbalances. So (laughs) there's so many positive benefits from like sitting and breathing and really working directly with your nervous system. Is that the way that it was originally um, kind of formulated? Because it strikes me that pranayama like yoga practice has now been very much put into the domain of practical health and practical health benefits. But it, it, the way you're talking seems to suggest that the, the yogis were doing it for that reason. It, do you think that's the case? Or do you think they were also doing it to kind of 
almost do the opposite in a way to stimulate the body using the pranayama? Can it be used in that function as well? Is this, do you see, what, do you see the um, question? Yeah, I see the question. It is interesting. I don't, I, don't, I mean, comebackers and things like that, the people that, you know, kind of like to impress us with, you know, the, you know, holding the breath in and holding the breath out for long times. And that doesn't seem very relaxing. No. <laughs> so th this leads to sort of another interesting, um, I guess, divergence that my path took because even though I practiced pranayama with Patabi Joyce in 2007 and learned from him, I also had been studying since 2004 with Sri O.P. Tawari, um, who was at that time the head of the Kavalyadam Institute in Lanavala, India. Um, and his teacher, his guru, Swami Kuvalyananda, had, um, you know, started the first research institute in India researching yoga and the practices of yoga. Um, and... So from learning from the Kavalyadam lineage uh, with Sri Opitawari, uh, he always would press upon that you should never feel stressed out doing the pranayama practices. You shouldn't be turning on your sympathetic nervous system. It shouldn't be creating any irritation or aggravation or... Um, you know, stress in the system where you feel a little bit irritable later in the day even, right? It can show up not necessarily immediately, but later in the day you feel more stressed out or more irritable um, or just like your mood is a bit off. And that is would be like a negative effect and it would mean that you're pushing too hard, too fast, holding your breath for too long or like there's something going on in your breathing practice that is putting stress into your nervous system. And the thing is, is you can't awaken Kundalini. So the, you know, yoga masters of old, you know, the ones writing the Hatha Pradipika weren't necessarily, you know, concerned, you know, they're not writing about the sympathetic nervous system, the parasympathetic mm. nervous system. They're not, you know, necessarily concerned so much with the physical anatomy, but they did have this energetic understanding of the body. And you can't, Kundalini isn't going to awaken if you're out of balance. And so the whole, mm, all mm. of the practices is about cleansing, bringing your body into a state of balance so that you can have this deep spiritual experience. But if you're stressed out, you're not able to have a deep spiritual experience because your, you know, body's freaking out, basically. <laughs> so all the problems so, they're all there for balancing, mm -hmm. all the different breaths. Because I, I, I just thought, you know, if we, if we, if the breath was just there to, to calm and balance and, you know, and kind of regulate the sympathetic, parasympathetic nervous system, we would just have one long breath. We would just sit there breathing kind of out for a long period of time and, and relax. Or is there, you know, is there another side of it? You know, what, what, why, why are we doing these breath retentions or is that different to what you're teaching? No, definitely. The breath retentions are a part of it. Um, that has to do, you know, with the exchange of gases like the CO2 and nitric, uh, nitric oxide. Um, so nitric, nitric oxide is mm. uh, released. It, it actually kind of lives in our sinuses a little bit. And so when we're practicing the pranayama, it uh, is released in a greater quantity than just when we're breathing regularly. And what it helps us to do is it helps uh, to enhance the amount of oxygen 
that is being taken up in the blood. And it also helps to open our airways. So it can be really important for people with asthma or um, some cardiovascular system issues because it helps to uh, open up blood vessels and also uh, take in more oxygen. And then the CO2 is also um, a really important factor in the breathing because it is the buildup of CO2 levels um, in, our, in our blood, in our body that uh, instigates, like creates the urge for us to breathe. And so with the pranayama practice over a long period of time, you're uh, increasing your tolerance to CO2. And CO2 can be very helpful in many ways in our body. Um, we need it in order to uh, take in oxygen from the blood as well, but it also helps to dilate our smooth muscles, our arteries, our intestines. Um, it also helps to reduce histamine production. And so that helps to lower the inflammation, the inflammatory markers of the body. Um, and it also controls our body's pH. Um, so it needs to be, CO2 levels need to be maintained at an optimum rate. And sometimes, you know, we think that if you just breathe faster, like by hyperventilating or doing mm. fast breath, yeah. that you're going to get more oxygen, but it's actually the opposite happens, right? You actually end up blowing kind of off your oxygen um, and it's, it uh, decreases the amount of oxygen that your body's able to absorb from that exchange because you're not, uh, you're imbalancing the CO2 levels. So it's really important to have that long, deep breath and increasing the length of the exhalation has been shown to um, stimulate the vagus nerve and to increase vagal tone and also to then um, bring down that stress response. And it immediately starts to increase that parasympathetic uh, nervous system. So it will decrease your stress basically right away which is amazing because if you've ever, you know, been feeling anxiety or a lot of stress or you're feeling irritable and you just stop and slow down your breath and create that ratio of one to two breathing. So maybe taking like a four second inhale and an eight second exhale. If you can do something like that for even just one or two minutes, mm. uh, you will notice immediately a response in your body. And so I think there's tools in the pranayama practice that are like easily accessible at any time that will help to uh, decrease these negative stress responses in the body that like, you know, you don't have to do an hour and a half asana practice to get that effect. You could just sit and breathe yeah. for two minutes and potentially tap into that same neurological But could effect. we not do this in our asana practice? You mentioned at the start that the asana practice, some, you know, for some people, certainly, you know, I had it. It kind of stirs you up more in the breathing. Could we not include some kind of pranayama-esque aspect of breathing <laughs> in, the, in the asana practice? Or, you know, or is there something we can learn from the pranayama and from the way that you're talking to include it in the asana practice so that the breath is adequate? 
right? We shouldn't be going away from, uh, from an asana practice being more stirred up. So maybe for, for some people, it should be a longer out breath, for example. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you're in a in a position or a posture where you're really challenged, it would be of benefit to really focus on your breathing and to make that exhalation a little bit longer. You know, I'm hesitant to say that you should change the way that you're breathing in the asana practice because, you know, Patabi Joyce and Sharad are, have both been very um, adamant, you know, that the inhale and the exhale should be even in length. So, you know, I'm I'm not going to suggest otherwise. If you're practicing a traditional Ashtanga practice, then you should definitely keep the breath even in length. But slowing the breath down, you know, Patavi Joyce would say you should breathe in like a four second inhale, four second exhale, like that, so that it's not so slow. You know, pretty slow. but it's yeah, it's pretty slow, right? It's <laughs> pretty slow. That, yeah, absolutely. Huh. I mean, and not so, that he would always follow his own advice because he, he definitely was known for teaching full primary in 50 minutes, which yeah, is like maybe a yeah, two-second yeah, yeah, yeah. yes. in Yeah, um, <laughs> which, which definitely wasn't relaxing in any way. Um, <laughs> no, not really. You needed to go home and take a two-hour yeah, nap after yeah. that. <laughs> so what are the differences of the way that because you were actually I wasn't I mean I did practice with Patawi Joyce but I wasn't in privy to the pranayama as you were which is an amazing and uh, experience you must have had how are the differences between the way that you got taught with Patawi Joyce and the latest teachings you had at Kavali down with uh, Tuaraji yeah yeah so that's another interesting um you know, difference because Patavi Joyce really, you know, he didn't teach pranayama to s until students were in advanced series. And so in the Ashtanga tradition, we tend to have this, um, you know, I guess preconceived idea or misconception maybe that, you know, pranayama is dangerous to practice unless you're an advanced asana practitioner. Um, and the way that Patavi Joyce would teach pranayama is he would go immediately into very long breath retentions, inhales mm. and exhale retentions right away. So it wasn't relaxing, I wouldn't say. It was quite stressful for the nervous system, especially if you weren't ready to be holding your breath for that so length of time. Why was, he, why was he doing that? It seems then to suggest again that this idea of pranayama is something other than relaxing is something to stir up Kundalini was there in his mind. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, I really don't know what his approach to pranayama, why he took that approach to pranayama. I never, no. you know, got into a conversation with, with him about that, but um, you know, definitely there's benefit in having those long breath retentions. However, there's more benefit if you build up gradually to those breath retentions and don't stress your nervous system out because, um, you know, things can go off when you're putting direct stress on your nervous system. And so and that's where there's all these like mm, precautions mm. about doing pranayama, right? Like yeah, you, always you don't want your hair to turn yeah, gray like, or yeah, don't, <laughs> don't don't do pranayama at all, even right? I think yeah, and people really, yeah, but you know, it's I think the myth has been busted really now, and also because I think people like you are talking about it in more pragmatic terms that you know, in, in more kind of taking it towards the scientific realm as well, where it's not this mythological thing that can kind of t send you crazy and, you know, it's approached in maybe more of a 
the sensible way, you know? I mean... Yeah, that's the thing. If you do too much too soon, yeah, it could potentially... Yeah, maybe yeah. not make you crazy, but you could develop some issues, right? You could develop like a tremor, you could develop coughing or chronic hiccups or like uh, disrupted breathing where you're like, <gasps> you know, gasping for breath every once in a while. You could develop some physical issues, digestive issues, um, you know, different like irritable bowel type issues. So there's things that can happen because you are working with your nervous system, right? So you do want to go really gradually, really slowly and therapeutically because the whole point of practicing uh, pranayama in my mind is that you're, I mean, you are having a very deep experience of yoga, but it needs to be done in a way that is calming and centering and grounding for your, your central nervous system for your autonomic nervous system so that your body stays in balance and you stay healthy. Um, mm. If you throw yourself out of balance, then you have to take so much time trying to bring yourself back into balance. And, you know, that's kind of a, a side route. And if you keep taking side routes, then <laughs> you never get to where you want to go. And you studied with, um, with Sri Opi Tuari for, for a number of years as well, I think. Quite a few years, right? And and what would what would you yeah. say is the essence of what you learned with him? How did he teach? Uh, yeah, and, and and what did you come away with after studying for so long with him? Yeah, so he really um, taught in a very gradual way. So students would just start with inhaling and exhaling for double. Inhale, exhale for double, and that's like a really easy, simple way. If you know you're looking for. Um, just like a first initial exercise to start breathing or start uh, a pranayama or breathwork practice. Yeah. So if you could inhale for three seconds and exhale for six seconds oh, okay. or inhale for that four was, seconds yeah. and exhale for eight seconds. Preempted a further cut um, in there. Yeah. Okay. So the basic, yeah. uh, a, ba a basic pranayama, if we just take a side kind of divergence, would be that as, mm -hmm. a, as a kind of gateway. Lengthen the exhale back. Exactly. And, you know, if you do, if you're able to breathe in for four seconds and breathe out for eight seconds, um, you know, in five minutes, you can do 25 breaths. Or if you do um, 10 breaths, I think that's a, like five breaths is one minute, basically. And which is, which decreases your breathing rate from, from normal quite significantly. That's going to take ages. What what happens if you've only got <laughs> what, what happens if you only got ten minutes? What do you do then? Like if you only got ten minutes a day and and you want to start pranayama, what would be the practice? Yeah, Just I mean, you know, in two yeah, in two minutes, in two minutes, you could do ten breaths, inhaling for four seconds and exhaling for eight seconds. That would take two minutes, and you would immediately feel benefits from that. What happens if you don't feel anxious, but you feel a bit sluggish or depressed even? Would you do the opposite? Or what other thing could you do then? Well, there's, I mean, again, in the Hatha Pradipika, there's all different types of, there's eight main types of pranayama practices. And each of these different types of pranayama practices have slightly different effects on the body, depending on whether you're stimulating mm. uh, the Ida Nadi or the Pingala Nadi. So, you know, you can, you can increase your sympathetic 
response a little bit by stimulating the pingala nadi more than the ida nadi. So it will increase heat in the body. It will also decrease the negative effects of vata. So maybe anxiety, say, or uh, excess dryness or brittleness in the body. Um, and there's cooling pranayamas. So the shitali or the sitkari, many people are familiar with these inhaling through the lips and then exhaling through the nose. You're inhaling through your mouth and exhaling through your nose. And they're immediately effective for bringing down, you know, excess heat or acidity in the body as well. So each of the different types of pranayama practices have um, specific effects, you know, but in general, all of them you know, will be helpful to you. <laughs> but if you are having a particular, um, you know, negative symptom or something coming up, then some will be more effective than others. Do you need to adamantly learn them with a teacher or can you do a bit on your own? Um, I think, you know, if you're just doing something very simple, like inhale and exhaling for double, you know, you could probably... Just learn away. just do yeah. that on your own right. it's not you know it's not very difficult or complicated it's just learning to lengthen your exhalation but i think if you really wanted to develop a pranayama practice it's absolutely something that you need a teacher for i don't think it's um very productive to just like read books or listen to audio cassettes or um you know, right. watch and, videos or read articles. I think it's something you really need to have that interpersonal yeah. relationship yeah. with someone. Without sounding like a heathen, like what, when you talk about deepen, where do you go after relaxation? Like, how do you know you're doing it right or, or that you are progressing with it? Or what do you see as a sign of progress? Yeah, you know, I mean, over months or years, depending on how, how long it takes. But definitely you'll notice because, you know, right now our brains are trained to have a certain breath capacity, right? So when you first start paying attention to your breath, you might only be able to breathe in, say, for three seconds and exhale for six seconds. But after a month, if you're doing that consistently, you're able to all of a sudden breathe in for four seconds and out for eight seconds. So you're going to increase your breath capacity over the months and years. And then also you're going to increase your ability to retain the breath as well, to hold the CO2 in the lungs over the months and the years. But it's important to start gradually. So you're not going to like, um, you know, try and inhale past your capacity and then hold the breath for a long time and then exhale and come out like gasping or, you know, like completely losing it because there, there's no benefit to that. But if it's done in a very systematic, scientific way, then you can, it's measurable, right? You can see your growth happening because where before holding the breath for say four seconds was really challenging, maybe after several months, holding the breath for eight seconds feels quite natural. So you can notice these incremental changes, but also I feel that, um, you know, when you practice consistently the breathing practices, it really helps to tone um, the vagus nerve. And so you increase your vagal tone, which means you can switch more easily between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system. So you don't get stuck in that, 
place of being chronically stressed as much, right? Mm. So you're able to come out of that more readily, more easily. And when you talk about, you know, kind of developing a longer breath or holding the breath in more, it, this is the benefit of decreasing CO2 levels and increasing oxygen levels for the, for the body and the blood. Is that right? Um, well, yeah, it kind of, it does both actually. So, um, you're able to hold the CO2 levels for longer, which have actually a, quite a calming effect on your mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also with that, it allows your body to absorb more oxygen out of the blood. So therefore you're taking up more oxygen from, from each breath. So there's a whole bunch going on with with the gas exchange when you're holding your breath. But if you don't have that capacity to hold the CO2 in the lungs, then it it forces you to breathe out, right? So mm. you're not going to be able to hold your breath for a long period of time. And of course, there's all kinds of mystical states and experiences. And this is where you get sort of the Kundalini awakening or this Shakti energy awakening um, through being able to hold your breath in a safe way for longer periods of time, or you get these, uh, you know, Kevalya Kumbhakas, which is sort of, uh, being able to retain the breath without inhaling or exhaling in a suspended state again for, without feeling the need to breathe. Um, and so yes, this is what the yoga you know, texts talk about. <laughs> yeah. I think if you do that for like 10 minutes, you're enlightened or something like that. If you can, <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> how many minutes can you hold your breath for? <laughs> for me personally, <laughs> that's the thing. You know, there's not really like a very ego gratifying um, situation with pranayama. You know, nobody really know, likes to look at it really, on I, Instagram. I'd be pretty impressed with that. If you did, if you yeah. Did, yeah. You'd have, you, I don't think it would fit in a reel, really, because I think you've only got 30 seconds in a reel. But you, maybe if you did a longer video and you just held your breath, yeah, that would be, that yeah. Would be impressive. I would watch that. Um, yeah. <laughs> any pointers for how to start? I mean, where, where to put the breath, where to aim the breath, how to feel the breath, the quality of breath, any little tips for that kind of thing? Yeah, I think, you know, breathing with that with that sound, like making a little bit more conscious effort to breathe with sound, but it shouldn't be harsh. It should it should be soothing, you know, it shouldn't be like like really intense. It should it should feel soothing to uh yourself while you're breathing. That's um one of the really good ways to start to uh, stimulate, you know, the vocal cords to stimulate um, that that vagus nerve while you're breathing and then lengthening the exhalation to be double the inhalation. Um, and like I said, if you do that for a four second inhale, eight second exhale, you know, it, at 10 breaths will take you two minutes. So that's very straightforward and simple and easy to do that. Um, that deep, slow breathing, using the diaphragm to really breathe. So feeling the expansion of the rib cage in all three directions, you know, that three-dimensional breathing, breathing into the back, the lungs, the sides, the fronts, the tops. Um, and then also even ink connecting to the bandhas. So that's the other benefit, I think, that 
is sort of a side benefit of the pranayama practice is you really start to develop awareness of mula bandha and this, you know, lifting and squeezing of the pelvic floor, the anal sphincter, this uh, contraction of the pelvic floor muscles. And the interesting thing is the vagus nerve uh, terminates at the pelvic floor. And so again, it's another switch, the mula bandha for stimulating and increasing vagal tone. So it helps to create that parasympathetic response. So um, with the breath trying to you know, connect to the banda at the bottom of the exhale, you can kind of squeeze the anus or squeeze the pelvic floor and then try to hold and maintain that connection while you're breathing in. And then you don't have to try so hard when you're exhaling because it starts to happen actually automatically at the bottom of the exhalation. So you need to use the bandas for, for the breathing practices. I would say yes, you should definitely focus on bandhas, having that. And I think that's why Patabi Joyce really didn't teach pranayama until students were, you know, well acquainted with the bandhas. And you don't get so much into advanced series unless you've done a lot of work with the bandhas in primary series and second series, especially practicing in Mysore, India. You know, there's no workarounds. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Is the pranayama practice or the practices that you're teaching, are they different to just breathing practices? Because you see a lot of people talking about teaching breathing now, and then there's pranayama. Mm -hmm. Are the two things different? You know, or classical pranayamas and then, you know, breathing for health or, you know, or is one, is, is that one a diluted version of the pranayamas up here somewhere? Or are there some kind of westernized versions of breathing that are different to the pranayamas? Yeah, that's that's a very good question. Also, I think that um, I mean, I obviously don't know all of the <laughs> the breathing or breathwork practices that are out there. Um, there's I, but from what I've seen, there's for sure some overlap. So some practices I think would be considered a traditional pranayama practice, um, and then there are some differences also. Um, where the breathwork practice is, you know, not really, um, you know, from a traditional yogic um, lineage. It's something that's maybe a little bit new, a little bit modern, maybe Western. I don't, I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, I get lots of questions about like Wim Hof breathing and things yeah, like that. Yeah. It's quite different from like traditional yoga. Well, you know, pushing the stomach out to breathe, right? Which we're, yeah. They were not really taught. And I remember teaching opera singers and they were really adamant that you ought to breathe from your stomach and push the stomach out and just have real battles with them that you haven't got lungs in your stomach. So you're breathing <laughs> yeah. into, they're, they're in your back. <laughs> there is, I think the point is that the, I think all the methods probably meet in the middle or the, the, the framing of them is, is, is different language. And, you know, it can be confusing when you're talking in different languages. Definitely. And I, and that's also one of the reasons why I think it's so important to find a teacher and practice with a teacher because um, there are differences in the teachings. Like even the way Patabi Joyce taught pranayama and the practices that he taught were quite different from the teachings that I was learning um, with Sri Opitawari and the Kavalyadam lineage. And you don't really want to mix methods. <laughs> so I think when you start mixing methods, especially with pranayama, you can get a little bit 
mixed up and confused. So you should kind of stick with one lineage, one tradition, and not just like make your own um, smoothie out of all the different <laughs> mm. types of practices. Um, because then, you know, they they do have different effects on the on the body and on the mind. So And the, the question is the other question is always asked is which is <laughs> seems like is in my mind slightly trifling question really, but people are very uh, concerned about whether to practice pranayama before practice or after practice. <laughs> <laughs> That's the number one question I get asked. Uh, what's your thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> You're right. That is one of the number one questions, I think. Oh, yes. yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, the main thing when you're doing, if you're doing especially like a traditional pranayama practice, you know, that's maybe a little bit more than just inhaling and exhaling for double, which you can do at any point during the day, that very simple um, breathing exercise. But if you're doing something with retentions, um, where you're holding the breath, you're doing a little bit more involved pranayama exercise. You know, it's similar to the asana practice in that you definitely don't want to have a full stomach. So you want your stomach to be empty. So if you've had a meal, you need to wait about four hours so that you, you've digested the food. Um, because the process of digestion, when you're digesting food, you want your body, you want the blood flow to be there and the digestive process not to be interrupted by holding the breath or, you know, diverting the energy or the blood to other places in the body. Um, so, yeah, you just don't want to interfere with your digestion. And also, it's going to limit your ability to hold the breath if your stomach's full, right? Mm -hmm. So, the main thing is, is that the stomach's empty. But for me, I, I enjoyed doing the pranayama practice first thing in the morning because I find that, that that's when I'm the clearest and I have the most energy. And usually when I finish doing asana practice, I'm sort of like over it and just want to like move on with my life and my day. But it really doesn't matter, to be honest, whether you do it before or after. The thing is, is trying to find a time that mm -hmm. works for you and feels natural and comfortable. Some people like doing the asana first because they feel like it opens up their body. It opens up, you know, their nadis, maybe these energy channels more so that they can then sit and move the energy. But you can do the same thing through the pranayama. And then all of a sudden, when you go into your asana practice, if you're doing it after the pranayama practice, you have a really intense awareness of breath and bandhas and your asana well, practice feels much more deeper. So we know that a lot both of have benefits. <laughs> a lot of people in my saw we know, likes to do it after the practice for an hour in the changing mm -hmm. room. Um, yeah. <laughs> when, when other people are trying to get in, they would be doing the pranayama. With <laughs> Yes, yes. Very, very yeah. Patami Joyce usually taught it after the pranayama or after the asana practice. Yeah. He taught pranayama to do it afterwards. Um, so, but it's like, not how, what, what, what kind of time span are we looking at here? If you've only got like an hour and a half and you're already like up to your max in terms of how much asana you want to do is an hour, you know, say, how do you fit it in how you know you've got an hour and a half time you want to do an hour and a half asana but you can't you know like how should the split happen <laughs> you know or or, or you know do, yeah, we need to do, do we need to do pranayama for sure you know like or, or is it a, a, a choice situation or if you're doing asana do you really need to do how, how essential is it would you say after how many years you practice you know 
Well, you know, I I always think that it's really important that you go with with where your heart's leading you. So, right. you know, if you're feeling called to sit and do a pranayama practice and move more into that fourth limb of the Ashtanga path, then I think it's important that you follow that leading and make some time for it. But of course, like with everything, every practice you do is going to take time, right? So yeah, we want to do the chanting, we want to do the meditation, we want to do the pranayama, we want to do the asana, but not many of us have four hours a day to mm. practice yoga, <laughs> right? So you kind of have to figure out which practices are creating the most benefit and what's the minimum amount of practice you need to do in each area in order to get those benefits, you know, or get the effects yeah, or the results yeah. that you're looking for. What do you reckon? Start off with like 10, 15 minutes a day or in like ballpark figures, you know? Yeah, I think, honestly, I think 10 minutes a day is yeah, is quite good and to what, start what with. Yeah. What, what, what is the ideal time of pranayama in your well, it, you know, it really depends. It depends on each person and what their what their commitment is to their practice. And right. also, of course, as your breath um, length increases and as your breath holds increase, right, the length of the practice also increases. Oh, so, you've been holding your breath so long. It's going to take you hours now. <laughs> You're so good at it. <laughs> no. <laughs> but, yeah, you have to kind of, you know, it's going to grow naturally. That's the thing. So if you started with five or ten minutes, you know, you could do the same practice. But over time, it would probably end up growing to like 15, 20 minutes. Right. And finally, you mentioned to me before that you, you've had personal experience with helping conditions using the, the pranayama. Um, do you want to mention your experience, your personal experience with that? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is, this is um, something that we're, uh, I'm teaching a workshop for your students and whoever else wants to join on May 15th. And it's uh, like about purifying and resetting your practice. Mm. And so we're going to look at um, some of the kriyas, so some of the cleansing techniques, which are also precursors to developing a breathing practice. Um, so like nali or um, even neti, of course, can be helpful, right, where you're cleaning your sinuses. Um, and then uh, different pranayama practices, but also changes in, in diet and just starting to understand um, what increases or what contributes to chronic inflammation in the body and how chronic inflammation um, creates problems <laughs> for us. Right. So, you know, for me personally, when I was traveling a lot, um, I started to kind of build up this this chronic um, stress response, which shows up as inflammation in the body, which is like swelling and tenderness and um, just like feeling really thick and um, sore joints and, um, you know, not sleeping good. I mean, I wasn't sleeping good because I was changing time zones a lot. And so, um, you know, the cortisol levels, which are the stress hormone, when they increase and don't go back down, then it starts to build up this, you know, inflammation. And so I was having all kinds of, of issues coming up with like, especially my joints, you know, a lack of 
um, lacking range of motion and swelling. And if I got injured at all, it would like take forever to heal. And sometimes it wouldn't even heal. It would just stay swollen. So, you know, working more directly with um, the breathing and the pranayama, uh, changing my diet a little bit, taking out some foods, um, putting in more of other types of foods, uh, and then also doing a bit more chanting, looking at ways to really um, stimulate the the vagus nerve to increase vagal tone, to decrease inflammation mm. in the body, um, practicing mm. asana in a way that was like a little bit more gentle and less right. athletic. Mm. Um, so all of the these little little tweaks really in in my own. Um, sort of routine yeah. uh, really helped to change that level of inflammation. And, and all of a sudden my joints were like coming back down to a normal size because they were all swollen. I couldn't even like put certain rings on my fingers anymore. My ankles, which were like incredibly painful. I couldn't squat in Pashasana at all, you know, started to like come back down to a place where I could at least like squat without pain. Right. You know, there was all kinds of really mm. intense physical um, things that I was experiencing that I'd never experienced before. Um hmm. So it, and you're using it the kind of pushed me. Well. You, you use that. Yeah. yeah. And um, definitely. Well, uh, you the foods as well. What I mean, people always say, oh, don't eat dairy. Um, that's very bad for breathing. Um, is that, <laughs> yeah. you know, it gives a phlegm or that, you know, are there any food? I mean, you can have, you know, there's quite a kind of a tantalizing mention of the food there. You didn't allude to foods that help or hinder. Um, <laughs> what, yeah. What specifics on that? Well, one of the one of the things that's really helpful is increasing the omega three fatty acids. So, um, you know, if you're vegan, this can sometimes be a bit of a challenge because mostly omega three fatty acids are found in fish um, or fish oils. But you know, you can find vegan sources in flaxseed. Um, but that was really helpful. And also, I ended up cutting out. I did a bit of an elimination diet for a month where I cut out all grains, which again, if you're vegan or vegetarian can be really challenging, especially because if you're not eating rice or, um, you know, any kind of grain at all, not quinoa, nothing, um, which was surprising to me because, you know, I wasn't sure that that was really the problem or that that would really help. But um, it actually, I think, was one of the things that really helped. So taking out all grains and taking out all mm. dairy. Mm. Um, and what else? Oh, and then oils. So using only um, like the oils that are high in omega threes, and that decreasing the ones that are high in omega sixes. But also, you can like olive oil is good. Um, the but like most vegetable oils are not so good. So and of course trans fat, all those types of of things. So it was a it was a month of just really sort mm, of mm. fresh vegetables <laughs> and some tofu and tempeh and <laughs> things that um 
that, oh, and sugar and decreasing sugar. I took out all the sugar also. So that was another thing. Again, if you're vegetarian, it's like you're not eating any fruits now. <laughs> you're basically eating salads. Yeah. Um, or, and a lot of cauliflower and broccoli. <laughs> that's pretty interesting. Um, but that was really like, helpful. Like an anti-candida diet in a way. Exactly. Mm, yeah. Mm. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's pretty much the same thing because candida feeds off that yeah. sugar, yeah. Um, which, you know, shows up, in, our body synthesizes the grains into sugars, right? So, yeah. So that was the, the way that I changed my diet, but the, and then you can slowly add things back in and, and your body doesn't react. You know, you can kind of see what's causing certain reactions or not. And, and also I think we just get to a place when we're really stressed, when our body's overly stressed or the inflammation's sort of chronic that every little thing just flares up a reaction you know we become hypersensitive to everything and so you kind of have to get rid of the inflammation first in the body um, before you can then go back to you know sort of a normal type diet or eating you know again things that you would normally eat mm. without it causing mm. a reaction okay just to finish off i've got a personal question for you i was just thinking yeah you know, my mum, if she's listening, um, she has listened to some of them. Um, so if she's listening to this, <laughs> hi, mum. And uh, she always told me, I, when I sit to breathe, I feel anxious. And mm -hmm. I immediately feel anxious um, when I focus on my breathing. Um, I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't really have an answer for her. And I wondered if someone does feel very, uh, very uh, reluctant, you know, um, to, to commence in it the pranayama practice mm -hmm. proper are there any tips but you know i kind of felt like it would be good for her as well there are any tips to kind of or maybe mm -hmm. asanas that you could breathe in to take the emphasis off the actual physical idea of breathing i think she felt she was just going to suffocate or something yeah that's like, that's fascinating <laughs> i definitely know some people breathe, yeah feel have of, a lot of anxiety that come they start up. breathing mm -hmm. it comes up worse i think that was i think that was the mm -hmm. message i was getting yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's one breathing uh, exercise, Brahmari Pranayama, that could be helpful where you're inhale and then you exhale with the humming sound. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's quite soothing. Like the humming yeah, bee. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it has a similar effect to even just chanting Om or even mm. just chanting, you know, but that mm sound from the ohm. So that humming bee can be quite soothing and it, it, you don't really think of it as breathing in a way, right? You think of it as humming. And so you're taking a nice deep inhale and then just exhaling with the humming sound for as long as you possibly can. And do that maybe 10 times, right? And that'll probably take you two minutes, but that can help to sort of uh, calm that anxiety and it's again, quite soothing. And you're also stimulating with the humming sound. It's a direct stimulation of that vagus nerve because it goes through the larynx and the vocal cords there. And so you're again, gonna start to increase the parasympathetic nervous system response, which will immediately start to decrease the anxiety. So it's a little bit more of a, a stronger, um, method because of the humming sound right. you know it it really right. taps into yeah. that vagal tone or to toning the vagus nerve 
Um, and then she could also, another thing is like the loving kindness or the meta meditation is another nice way to kind of ease into a pranayama practice. If you're not really wanting right. to practice pranayama or if it makes you feel anxious, yeah. just sitting and just, you know, your breath will naturally start to become slower and longer and, you know, repeating the loving kindness, you know, whatever, whatever works for you, you know, may I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well, may I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy and free or whatever words you want to use. Um, and then offering that to, you know, other people around you or a group or a community. So all of those, that kind of um, loving kindness meditation, acting with compassion has also been shown to uh, help us switch out of that sympathetic response, right? That fight or flight response and move into a more restful uh, place of ease inside mm. our nervous system. Okay. Um, Mom, if you're listening, let us know how it goes. And um, <laughs> yeah. Harmony, um, I think that's that's uh, that's fantastic uh, instruction of the pranayama, and um, we shall certainly look forward to doing your course. And I shall give links in our write up for that. So thanks. Oh, for thank you so much. Yeah, and I'm I'm excited to come and teach the uh, workshop with you guys on May fifteenth, and we'll be doing some some of these breathing techniques there, and some practices to just sort of have a to experiment with what could be a holistic Ashtanga yoga practice, you know, outside of just plain old primary and intermediate series or advanced series. All right. Okay. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on again. It's been, been a pleasure. Thank you Thank so you. much for having Bye. me. It was a real pleasure. Bye. Okay. Bye.